Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Today is uh, Christ the King Sunday, as I mentioned, and it's a day to remember, uh, just before we began the Advent season, that the one that we're going to uh, celebrate for Advent, during Advent, is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. During Advent, we remind ourselves that Jesus is going to come again, and on Christ the King Sunday, we acknowledge that Jesus, who is coming again, is God's final appointed ruler for all of creation. I'm going to preach based on our gospel reading this morning, and I don't think I could have picked a better text. We're sticking with the lectionary this morning. But in terms of what's happening in our world today, I don't think there's a more appropriate text for us to meditate on than Jesus before Pilate in John 18. As you know, Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea during this time, the time of Jesus. He served under the emperor of Rome. And Jesus' conversation with Pilate, it raises the whole issue that the world is talking about today. Everybody is talking about this. What is the relationship between religious truth and violence? This passage of Scripture gives us an opportunity to meditate upon on that, the relationship between truth and violence. In light of all the killing that's happened in Paris, in Mali, in Kenya, and on and on it goes by radical terrorists, Islamic terrorists. This gives us an opportunity to reflect then on a Christian perspective on this topic. So let's look at this. At the beginning of this conversation, and really it's an interrogation, Pilate has brought Jesus into a house that is a house of justice to make a ruling on the guilt or innocence of Jesus. And he begins to interrogate Christ. He wants to know if Jesus is a king. Are you the king of the Jews, he says in verse 33. And then Jesus has a question for Pilate. It's really a test to see how sincere Pilate is. Does Pilate really want to know the truth about Jesus? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Are you really interested in this personally? Or did others say it to you about me? So Pilate then, dis- I think the tone here is derision and he's being dismissive. In verse 35, today, some people would say he's being rather snarky, maybe. (laughs) Am I a Jew? Verse 35, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? See, Pilate doesn't think that Jesus really concerns him at all. Am I a Jew? Who you are really doesn't concern me unless you claim to be a king and unless that means that you're going to lead a revolt against Rome. So that's that's the concern of Pilate here. And in Jesus's response here, we 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 learn a, a basic truth about Jesus's understanding of the kingdom and of power that helps us to think about this question of the relationship between 
religious truth and violence. Jesus says this in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might be delivered, not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. To have a worldly kingdom, you have to have worldly power, and that obviously involves the use of force. It involves military power. You have to have that to impose your will on others. You have to have that physical force to maintain order. And that's what Pilate thinks about when he hears these terms, king and kingdom, power, force, violence, making others submit, bringing people into subjugation. But Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom operates. That's not how the power of my kingdom works. Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom of God, and Jesus' power is God's power, working through him. In Christ, the kingdom of God has come. So we see Jesus in the Gospels doing things that only God can do. There are signs, John calls them signs, that the kingdom of God has come in Christ. We see Jesus making claims in the gospel that only God can legitimately make. So Jesus performs mighty miracles all through the gospel of John. He turns water into wine. He heals blind eyes, people who are blinded. Their eyes are opened. He heals people of leprosy. He raises people from the dead. And he makes enormous claims to forgive people of their sins. He tells people about the coming judgment of God. He calls people to repentance. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He makes these enormous, gigantic claims that only God could make. God was at work in Jesus. And he brings the kingdom of God in Christ. It's a kingdom of spiritual power. And so Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, then I would be using worldly means. I would be fighting. My servants would be fighting. But you know, the, the, the followers of Jesus, the earliest followers of Jesus never fought, did they? We don't see that in the pages of Scripture at all. There was one time when a, when a disciple tried and he cut off the servant, the slave of the, of the high priest, he cut off his ear. And what did Jesus say? Jesus chided him like a father to a to a rambunctious son. Put away your sword. Enough of that, Peter. And then he healed the man that Peter struck. He healed Malchus. Put away the sword. My kingdom is not of this world. So then how does the kingdom of Christ advance? By doing the same thing Jesus did to advance the kingdom. Proclaiming the good news of salvation. Offering the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Telling people of the power of the Holy Spirit. The love of God. We see them in the book of Acts storming the gates of heaven through prayer and fasting. And that is our call today as his people. In the book of Revelation, we see that we are priests in the kingdom of God. All of us are a a, a kingdom of priests in the kingdom of Christ. And we're called to intercede. We're called to pray. This is our, our spiritual weapon of warfare, prayer and offering the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. So the kingdom of Christ, which is the true kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is the true kingdom of God, cannot be established by worldly means, worldly power, because, Jesus says, it's not of the... 
It doesn't operate the same way. It does things that the world, worldly power can't do. Only God can do. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no role for physical force and punishing the wrongdoer and establishing justice and order through power. It doesn't mean that there's no role for that. The Bible says that's the role for the civil government. Theologians talk about two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Christ that rules through the power of the Spirit and the preaching of the Gospel. And then there's the kingdom of the civil realm. And the kingdom of the civil realm sometimes has to use the sword to establish order and to punish wrongdoing. And that's what the Apostle Paul teaches. In Romans 13, 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul says that government is God's servant and God's servant does not bear the sword in vain. The government carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So there is a role for the use of force. But it's the civil government who employs the sword. Apostle Peter says something similar to the Apostle Paul. So this is part of the apostolic teaching of the church. 1 Peter 2.14, the Apostle Peter says that civil authorities have been sent by God to punish all who do wrong and commend those who do right. And so there is a God-given role for the state, for the civil kingdom, to protect people by the use of force, but that's not the role of the church at all. That's not how the truth of the kingdom of Christ spreads. So we recognize two realms and two ways in which power operates that have been ordained by God within the God-given boundaries that he's established. Uh, I, I heard an example of this. I, I, I heard a story that I think is an example of this, of how Christians ought to think about this and, and live it out. Remember, um, earlier this summer, there was that terrible shooting in South Carolina of the AME Church in Char- Charlotte, uh, Charlottesville, North Carolina, or South Carolina, right? Char- Charleston, South Carolina, yeah. And... Um, by the way, we lost in our own Anglican family. There was the spouse of an Anglican priest was there in that prayer meeting when the shooting took place, and she died there. Myra Thompson, I believe, was her name. Um, one of the family members of the victim said this to Dylan Roof, the man who committed these murders, at his hearing. He said, he said, I hope you spend the rest of your life in jail. Okay, You deserve that punishment. But, I'm going to visit you all the time in jail, and I hope to win you to Christ. See, that's the two realms operating perfectly, I think. Yes, wrongdoers need to be punished. There's a role for that, but the kingdom of Christ is to win people who've done evil and to restore them. And he said, I want you to know the forgiveness and love of God so that that will change your life. And so, brothers and sisters, that's that's how we ought to respond when we see the terrorism and we see the destruction that's going on in the name of religion and those who oppose Christ and those who say that they oppose the people of the cross, what's our response to them as Christians? Is to pray for them. To pray that the gospel would reach them. To support those ministries and and movements that are on the front line of reaching people for Christ who are tempted to go this way, to go the route of radicalization and terrorism. We support people who are working in our church. We support Matt Walter through prayer. And some people give uh, to Matt Walter's ministry. I'll just put a plug in, Tampa Bay Muslim Outreach. He's on the front lines reaching Muslims, teaching them in Arabic 
about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ought to continue to pray and support people like that. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And then he goes on and explains what his kingdom is about. In, in verse 37, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Okay, and Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. Some translations say, You say correctly that I am a king, because that's the implication, that Jesus is affirming what Pilate has just said. You are a king. Yes, I am a king, but not the kind of king you think about. And then Jesus explains what his kingdom is about. It's about this. It's not about worldly power. It's about this. For this purpose I was born, and this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So the kingdom of Christ is not about establishing a theocracy. It is about establishing truth in the world. The truth about God. The truth about our need for God. The truth about us. The truth about what it means to lead uh, lead a, a good life that glorifies God. That's the truth of the kingdom of Christ. And here's the point that I'm going to make here. That kind of truth cannot be imposed on people by force. That kind of truth cannot be forced upon people. It has to be received into the hearts and minds and souls of folks. It's a kind of truth that changes our core identity and value system. And so we, we want to give reasons for the truth of Jesus Christ, but we don't want to manipulate people. We don't want to use gimmicks and tricks. We don't want to force people. We want them to have the freedom to explore the truth of Christ for themselves. There are reasons to believe in Jesus Christ. I came across an example of, of that uh, as well this week. Reasons to believe in Jesus Christ. And one, one reason is just the portrait we have of Jesus in the Gospel, the life that He lived. Here, He stands before Pilate and He's in complete command of the situation. He's not cowering. He's not afraid. He knows, who he knows what He's come to do. And in the face of this mighty governor, He begins to ask Pilate probing questions. Jesus is in command of the situation. All throughout the, the passion narrative, we see Jesus Christ steadfast in His mission to go to the cross but the portrait of who jesus is in the gospel is his reason enough to begin to to believe and to trust him somebody has given this illustration in the in the 1990s mother Teresa came to speak at a prayer breakfast a presidential prayer breakfast where bill clinton was present uh, was present as the president and in this uh, prayer breakfast mother Teresa touched on the sensitive subject of abortion, and she advocated for, and very sensitively but clearly, for a culture of life. And so a reporter came up to Bill Clinton afterwards, and he said, well, what did you think about Mother Teresa's remarks? And he said, well, it's, it's hard to argue against a life that's been so well lived. It's hard to argue against a life so well lived. How about the greater life of Jesus Christ? How about the greater life of the one that Mother Teresa worshipped and millions of people do? We should believe in Jesus because of the life he lived. It testifies to his identity as God's son. But this can't be imposed because it has to do with loving God. The call is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves through Jesus Christ. And love cannot be imposed on people. And so, we give reasons to believe. We preach the gospel. We're going to baptize a child here in just a minute. We're going to claim Christ's promises over her life. And we're going to 
share with her the gospel as, she, as she's raised in this family and in this church. We're not going to force, but we're going to share. We're going to seek to win people to Christ. You know, when my kids, and this happens in the parents uh, in, 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 our, in our house and in a pastor's home, of course, it happens that kids fight and squabble with one another and they fight with their parents. That goes on. And we make them say, we tell them, you're supposed to say sorry. And at some point, we want to hear you apologize and reconcile with your siblings. And that's a right thing to do. We want them to get in the habit of that. But we can't really in their heart. That's a change that has to come from within. Now, when we see them saying voluntarily, I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry, Dad. Or when we say that to them voluntarily, it warms the heart because we know an inner change is happening, it's taking place, a softening is taking place. It's being imposed on them. It has to come from within. And that's why, as Christians, we just utterly reject this idea of a link between violence and religion. It's not the way of Christ. We have to be clear about that in the way we communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are still people who want to lump all religions together. Even this week, I was on one of these Facebook threads that was about what was going on in Europe and Islamic terrorism, and there were a couple of people who just said, well, that's the way all religions are. And so I, I gave them this, this little, a little bit of my sermon <laughs> on Facebook. You know, the, the only, when, when Christians in the past, in the name of Christ, have picked up the sword, they're not following the example of Jesus Christ. They're going against Christ in his word. They're not acting like a Christian. They're acting like the kingdoms and the powers of this world and, and the kingdoms of darkness if they're trying to impose the truth of Christ through the sword. It can't be done. Well, what we want to say to people is, if you're really searching for truth, you're eventually going to find Jesus standing at the crossroads of your life. If you're really searching for... Here was Pilate, who had the king of kings, ironically, standing right in front of him, the very embodiment of the truth about God, and he dismisses him. What is truth? Don't make that mistake in your life. The question for us is, are we listening to Christ and the truth that he brings into our life? Are we listening to the truth of Christ in the scripture? Are we hearing the words of Christ, the promises of Christ in the sacraments? Are we listening to his call in the voice of one who preaches and proclaims the word of Christ? Are you listening to the truth of Christ? Let me end with this quote. This is a quote from Chuck Colson in his book, Kingdoms in Conflict. And it speaks to the power of Christ's kingdom and the great power of his kingdom over those who would seek to defeat Christ. Here's what Chuck Colson said. He says, when Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth, Pilate may have breathed a sigh of relief. He should have reconsidered. What's more threatening? An external foe with a visible army or an eternal king who rules the souls of men? An eternal king who rules the souls of men can command people's will and affections, can demand absolute obedience, can impart unlimited power to his subjects and radically change their values and their lives. And so as his followers, we should really fear no earthly power. We should fear no earthly power. 
we should believe the words of Christ that his kingdom will have no end. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Let's not be afraid. Let's stay on task. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that your kingdom is not of this world and that your kingdom is about truth, the truth of God, and that you bring your kingdom to people's hearts and minds with power, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And even now, Lord, help us to be receptive to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Help us to cling to your truth, not to succumb to fear or intimidation, but to continue to live our lives for the glory of Christ and to bring your kingdom into the world where you've placed us, into the settings that you've placed us, into our families, our workplaces, our schools, wherever there is darkness. Help us, God, to bring the light of your kingdom. Where there's decay and corruption, God, help us to bring salt to preserve and restore. God, we pray that we would indeed be a kingdom of priests for your glory. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And everybody said, Amen.